Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. going on in today's podcast. Today is uh, episode nine of my podcast series. And for those of you who may be listening from the start, you'll notice, wait a second, there's a couple episodes missing. And you're right, there are a couple episodes missing. I'm still in the recording stage with the eating disorders episodes with Sarah Terwilliger. And so I've skipped ahead a little bit. We have uh, three more episodes of that to tape yet. And life has just been busy and got in the way. And so the reality is we're, we're still working on that. So today I did want to get this particular podcast out because it's so incredibly important, just given the events of this past Monday, April 23rd, the unfortunate events in Toronto And my uh, thoughts are with all of those affected, including first responders, any witnesses, the victims, families of the victims, and it's just such a terrible tragedy. And I know that uh, for me, it was especially important to get this podcast out there and not put it off any longer in terms of getting all of the prep work done, because the topic is actually grief. And so although the shock of the uh, actions on April 23rd are still really, really fresh. Uh, we all know that there will be a process of grief that follows this. And I do think that there's a lot of really great information in my podcast today. My guest in the podcast is Sheila O'Sullivan. And I'll do a, an introduction of Sheila uh, about Sheila in just a moment. Because today is, uh, just as a, as a bit of a, an aside, is also an exciting time for me in the sense that I'm finally ready to publish the name of this podcast and get my logo out there and let you all know what uh, that looks like. And so as of today, we're no longer going to be called the Julie Clark podcast. Uh, As I mentioned in episode one, I had the idea of a podcast. I wanted to pursue it, was very interested for some time and Uh, had been looking at a bunch of different names, but nothing really seemed, well, it was either that names that I had looked at were already taken or too similar, didn't really encompass the ideas that I had or the vision that I had for the podcast. And then it just came to me one day. And so I'm excited to announce that the name of the podcast is hashtag parenting who. So hashtag Parenting Who Podcast is the new name of my podcast. And for those of you, the logo is really cool, actually. And and Pat Bazinet is my tech guy, and he also does graphic design. And together, um, I said, this is what I'm looking for, and this is what it needs to look like. And he just did his wonderful work and came up with uh, this concept. And for those of you who are taking a look at it and sort of going, I'm sure I really understand. I love that because I envision this podcast to be something that is available for everyone. And so for the parent who might be um, or caregiver who maybe has put their child to bed and is really curious or wondering what they could do to help their child or just understand more about raising children who are sitting down at their laptop, they have their cup of coffee, their cup of tea, hot water and lemon, whatever it is, and they start to Google search parenting, and whoops, all of a sudden, information that's coming back at them stirs something within them and has them going, wait a second, 
this is familiar to me because this is what I dealt with when I was a kid, or this is how I felt when I was a kid, or maybe who I am and how I'm parenting or caring for this child is affecting their behavior. Whatever it might be, it's not intended to be shame. It's intended to sort of be, this podcast is intended to be a resource for people in whatever that looks like for them. And so it's not, I am a registered psychotherapist, but it is not intended to be therapy. But what it is intended to be is an informational a, a piece, a dialogue, something that sort of creates or stirs something in you that maybe you are eventually going to seek therapy through someone. And you can check out my website, julieclarktherapy.com for more information on that. I also do parent consultation online uh, all over. And uh, again, there's more information on my website about that. But if for some reason due to regulation, I'm not accessible to you, I definitely have a lot of contacts in a lot of different areas within Canada and the United States. I'm a member of very many forums and groups and we all refer to one another and I'd be happy to provide you some information and what I can if you're interested in pursuing some kind of formal therapy. And so that's the goal for my, my podcast, and I'm really excited to have you all to see that today. And please do let me know your thoughts, your comments, critiques, questions, anything feedback-wise. I, I really do want to hear from you, and I'm definitely open to that. So uh, switching gears again back to an important topic that I do want, I'm excited for you all to hear because uh, Sheila is actually a colleague of mine and someone that I consider a friend. She is, uh, she works virtually online as well as in office in, from Wasaga Beach, Ontario. Sheila graduated from Glendon College, York University with an honors BA in educational psychology. She completed her training in licensure, licensure in massage therapy and is a master herbalist. In her early career, Sheila worked exclusively with animals and taught animal rehabilitation and then she shifted focus and completed a master's in counseling psychology and is now registered with the College of Registered Psychotherapists of Ontario and is a registered psychotherapist. And so Sheila today is going to be speaking about grief and she is going to define grief and mourning. There, She's going to discuss the messiness of, of grief and, and she does a really great job. Um, she does a really great job. She's so uh, creative and colorful and I just love listening to her tell stories and speak because uh, she talks about the messiness of grief and Dennis the Menace and for those of you who might be listening and have no idea who Dennis the Menace is and I'm not naive to the fact that there might be some listeners out there that really truly don't know who Dennis the Menace is I'm going to include a link in my show notes about um, about Dennis the Menace She's going to talk about dual process, and then she's also going to provide a really nice analogy of rain clouds and sun showers, and um, it just provides a great visual for the lifelong process of grieving. And so listen up, and again, please provide some comments, questions, concerns, critiques, any feedback that, that you wish, and uh, thanks for joining me. Enjoy. All right. So Sheila, you and I are colleagues and we met during our master's program and stayed in touch and uh, very thankful for your friendship and uh, our get togethers. And so you have some, well, main areas of expertise, which include, include uh, grief as well as adoption. Correct? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so today I thought we would spend a little bit of time speaking about grief. Um, I'm going to just put this out there. There was that terrible bus accident in Saskatchewan just over a week ago. Uh, I'm human. I have boys and it very much, you know, it was very impactful for not just me as an individual, but our entire country. And so how timely is it that you and I had this podcast scheduled and, uh, you know, that's been at the forefront of a lot of Canadians' minds, not to mention uh, their own individual grief and things that they're dealing with in their own lives, um, be it from a tragic circumstance like that or the death of a loved one or I guess even the loss of a friendship, you know, that can evoke some grief 
and in others. And so I'm happy to chat with you today about some aspects of that and some of the areas that you think are key for individuals to have information on, to know about. Um, and I think one of those things you were going to talk about was defining grief and mourning, what grief is and what grief isn't. And so I thought that was really interesting. And so I'm really curious about that. So you are absolutely correct that recent events uh, often stir not only a sense of loss with respect to the immediacy of that particular event, but it can also be extraordinarily triggering for past events, past losses that individuals have experienced. And we have certainly heard about that from other hockey players who traveled on buses uh, and were in their own crashes, and now they are reliving to some extent that experience from 10, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and that is not unusual at all. Mm -hmm. um, it would be surprising if it wasn't triggering. Mm -hmm. um, and the big thing that happens when we have a catastrophic event like that, and it is triggering, is that people are faced with their own immediate mortality, yeah. uh, which on a day-to-day -day basis, we don't think about it. We don't have to face it. Death is very much hidden in Western society. And at times we try to deny it. Uh, and now with current circumstances, we cannot do that. So that then leads people to wonder, so what now? What's going to happen? Uh, how do I respond? Uh, is there an appropriate way to respond or not? And then when are we all going to get over this? Mm -hmm. And I always sort of smile and chuckle at that one because it presupposes that somehow there's an ending to this, right. or that life is going to go back to the way it was before loss. Mm -hmm. The reality is we have a BD and an AD, which is before death and after death, and never is the after death world going to be the same as it was before death, before right. BD. Mm -hmm. It's different. Mm -hmm. And it will become your new normal and it will become peaceful, but it is a journey. It's a process. And you go through it. You don't get over it. So there are some things that people need to understand for themselves and in light of uh, global, the, the global experience of loss. Yeah. And two are the definitions. So we have grief and we have mourning. Grief is the internal experience of loss. So those are the feelings someone experiences and those are the thoughts someone experiences or thinks uh, with respect to the loss, to the individual that was lost or to the experience that was lost. Okay. Um, so that grief will sit inside an individual always. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit like an accordion. There will be times where it is much bigger and more expansive and very present, which then leads to mourning. And mourning is the external expression of grief. Oh, okay. So someone will feel sorrow. That's grief. They will mourn it by, or mourning will be their tears. So someone can be, when their accordion is very full and expansive and they are feeling really flooded by grief, there is an awful lot of powerful emotion or an awful lot of intrusive thoughts, they will then need to offload it or mourn it outwards. So mm -hmm. that's when you'll see someone crying, yelling out of anger, um, maybe laughing at a funny memory, something that has come up. Um, they will want to speak a great deal about the loss experience. Um, so they need to offload it. Mm -hmm. And then grief will shrink. It will become much smaller and someone will get on with their life and they'll get about their day-to-day -day business. And in that moment, their mourning is less, there's less need for the mourning. Okay. So they're not likely to be weeping or yelling mm -hmm. with laugh, you know, yelling out of anger or laughing at a funny memory or what have you. And that's how people are able to, like if they've had to take time off work Maybe sometimes they try and go back, but they realize that it's too soon. They can't get through their days, but then ultimately, eventually, most times, maybe not always, but most times they'll be able to get through their day. And so that's what you're talking about, that how that grief shrinks. Yes. And then they're able to 
get through their day. And that, that accordionness is fluid, which means you don't have this expansive, um, intense period of grief and mourning, and then it shrinks and it stays shrunk. Mm -hmm. That's not how it goes. Um, essentially it will, it's, it's like playing the accordion. So there are going to be days where, um, it will play from expansion to shrinking and expansion to shrinking. And how I describe that to my clients is that it's, it's like the game of snakes and ladders. You roll the dice each time you wake up, you get, you know, you roll the dice, you go, I have no idea what today is going to be. And when you roll that dice and you begin to make your moves through the day, sometimes it's pretty steady. So your grief is steady and constant and you you weep when you see the picture of the deceased, but then you carry on and you make your cup of tea and you have your breakfast and then you weep as you walk by uh, their belongings as you exit to go to work. And then there are other days where when you roll the dice, you climb, you start to hit ladders and you have a really great day. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes what happens with that is people think, okay, now I'm over it right. and I'm doing great. And everybody sees you climbing ladders that day and that you're making great strides and isn't this fantastic. And so they all figure she's over it. He's over it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you roll the dice and you hit a snake and down you go. Right. And then people will be overwhelmed by that. They're surprised by that. They're, yeah. um, and they become initially quite stuck with that. They think they've gone backwards mm-hmm. rather than understanding that, no, 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 this is grief. You're going to travel along and you're going to climb ladders and slide down snakes. Mm-hmm. And each time you get reset on the board, mm-hmm. every time you get reset in your grief journey, it allows you to revisit things that maybe you skipped over. Oh my gosh. I just got shivers when you said that because that happens so often, doesn't it? Yes. And there's in amongst all that you just spoke about, there's a lot of confusion both with the person themselves, but also those around them. Like you said, you know, they thought that they were from what they saw, they were over it, but then there's, you know, the next day where, um, like you're saying, they get, they take those steps back and and realizing yeah so realizing that it might be something that at one point or another they just weren't ready to process exactly exactly and that's the thing about uh, loss and grief in particular is that it starts out uh, with most people being in a shock state Mm -hmm. so they can't actually connect with those powerful emotions and those intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. They have to get about the business of death. So they plan the funeral, they deal with the will and go through the estate and what have you. And that usually tides them through for three or four months. Mm -hmm. By that point, they now have the fortitude to go forward into grief and actively mourn it. But it doesn't mean that you enter it and it's a straight line and you exit it. Mm -hmm. In actual fact, it is this combination of snakes and ladders, you rolled the dice, you have level days, you have climbing days, you have sliding days. The key is to recognize that that is what your life is right now right? and to not allow it to derail you. Mm-hmm. So the other piece, the other way I describe this to my clients is that grief if you, if you don't grab those dice and sort of say, okay, I'm rolling it and I'm going to march forward in a very deliberate manner and whatever befalls me, I will deal with. So mm-hmm. if I'm climbing, just go with it. If mm-hmm. you're sliding, slide, mm-hmm. roll the dice. If instead there is a fear and overwhelmingness to this experience, then essentially grief has become the equivalent of Dennis the Menace. Mm-hmm. Grief is going to show up when he wants to show up and he's going to have one massive temper tantrum. Yeah. And he's going to create chaos. So you can do one of two things with Dennis the Menace. You can either lose your mind and decide to put Dennis Menace into his room and he's going to be grounded and you're going to have no contact with him until Dennis is prepared to come out and say he's sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, as we all know from the cartoon, Dennis never says he's sorry. <laughs> he's not going to be repentant. Instead, yeah. Dennis just gets angrier. Yeah. So instead, you want to engage in those um, 
constructive parenting moments with a Dennis the Menace in the house. Mm -hmm. Well, except that Dennis the Menace in the house is grief inside you. Yeah, yeah. So how do you connect with that that intense emotion in a healthy way or in a Mm -hmm. constructive parenting way? Mm -hmm. Well, first off, you face up to it directly Mm -hmm. and you create space for it Mm -hmm. when it is safe to do so. Right. So you want to have a conversation with yourself, which says, okay, today, grief, this morning we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And while we are doing that, it will not be safe for you to be present, which means you can ride along. Grief is going to be inside you, but you may not mourn. It is not going to be safe for you to become a puddle in the fruit and vegetable section of the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I promise you, grief, that when we get home, then you can tell me how you were impacted by this experience. Yeah. And now you give space in a safe environment for the morning to happen. Right. Yeah, because when you brought up Dennis the Menace, I immediately thought, okay, the morning's on hold here. Yes, but it's not stuffed. Right. It's not stuffed. It's not ignored. It's simply being told you have a time and place. Mm-hmm. And in the early stages of a grief journey, there's going to be an awful lot of time and an awful lot of mm-hmm. space for Dennis. Mm-hmm. Little and often throughout every single day. And over time, as grief realizes it will be acknowledged and released, Mm -hmm. it becomes less urgent, less anxiety-ridden or driven. And so now you can have larger or longer periods in each day between connecting with that grief. Mm -hmm. And over time, and by time, I'm talking here years, not weeks, not months, Mm -hmm. we're talking here about the the real depth of grief is going to happen over probably and most commonly, everybody's individual, every loss is individual, but the intensity is going to be at a, about a two-year process. Oh, and okay. the reason for that is that the first year is all about honoring. It's honoring the firsts of everything that you right. now need to endure. Mm-hmm. So it's honoring the deceased, honoring the loss at that first birthday. Mm -hmm. the first wedding anniversary, the first Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever it may be, it's creating an opportunity in that moment, in that day, to honor the loss or the absence in the space. So again, it's not getting into the first Easter and allowing Dennis to completely derail the whole holiday. Mm -hmm. It's about planning ahead a little bit and saying, okay, this Easter, wow, this person is not going to be there. So how do we honor them and also still have the festivities. Mm-hmm. And so each individual, each family needs to figure out what will be important to them. And it might be something quite simple. They light a candle, they mm-hmm. say a prayer or have a few thoughts. Mm-hmm. Some people will um, put a place setting at the dinner table uh, and then they will honor that individual. They will acknowledge the absence. And then usually in the acknowledging, it opens up the door for conversation about the absence uh, that leads to good memories, happy memories, funny memories, and then the festivities carry on. Mm -hmm. So no one feels awkward. The elephant in the room has been directly addressed Mm -hmm. and then they move along. So that's the first year. It's really about honoring that absence, addressing the elephant in the room and making sure that Dennis knows what the rules are. Mm -hmm. There's a time and place. The second year People think, okay, I've got through all the first, woohoo. Now they're ready for the second year and they think it's going to be better. Well, it's different because the second year is about reclaiming. It's uh-huh. essentially about now going through all the seconds and deciding what do we want to have continue forward and what now really needs to be left behind as part of the past. Mm-hmm. Which means now there's a whole new level of loss that occurs. Right. So, for instance, uh, I had one client several years ago who they said, yeah, the first year we did everything that grandma would have always done for Christmas, mm-hmm. everything, <laughs> including putting up the artificial white Christmas tree. <laughs> but in the second, and they were all cool with it, the entire family, this big extended family, and um, it was all about, we're just going to honor. They took what I had said, they honored, it was great. The second year... I said, okay, now you now's the reclaiming. So you have to decide what's coming forward and what's not. And of course, they got to Christmas and it was sort of a unanimous decision that the artificial white Christmas tree was looking really kind of 
well, ratty was the word that was used, and it just needed to be retired. So that was left behind. It meant that Christmas was different. Right. They started new traditions, um, and yet there was also a sense of loss. There were tears shed for the fact that they had decided not to bring this particular item, this tangible representation of their grandmother, forward. And of course, there was guilt. It was like, what's she going to be thinking there on the other side? And yeah. is there going to be yeah. you know, some sort of retribution from the other side for that? So yeah. the second year is about reclaiming. And once that occurs and all of the emotions with it, and I've mentioned more loss, so sadness, but also some guilt for doing that. Once people have gotten through that, then they start to feel that they're getting some traction, that there's now some normalcy to this after death yes. experience. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about essentially remembering grief is always going to be with you. It's an internal experience, but mourning is not always going to be present. Mm-hmm. You need to build that relationship between grief and mourning, essentially build a relationship with who I call Dennis the menace mm-hmm. so that you are not being sabotaged. Mm-hmm. You are not stuffing and you are not running away from your grief. And you're not letting your, yeah, the ego directly and the emotion, you're not letting your emotions run your life because you understand the difference between grief and mourning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And part of it is also recognizing what we call dual process. Mm -hmm. And that is that there will be times where grief is big and you're mourning a great deal. You have the time and energy Uh, and knowledge, internal knowledge or desire to do that. But eventually that becomes exhausting or you become exhausted by it, Mm -hmm. which then means people will go, I can't, I cannot cry anymore. I am cried out. I'm dry. Okay. Now you go the other way. So the other part of the process is to then get back to the land of the living. And people will say to me, yeah, you know, and I've had two great weeks. All I've done, I get up, I go to work, I'm living as I did before death. I do the grocery shopping, the house is clean, the laundry's done, I'm connecting with friends, the kids and I went out to a movie. Um, it's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. And they said, and then this morning, I just fell apart. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've gone completely backwards. And I'm like, no, 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 you've just gone from one part of the process to the other. This yeah. is dual process. Okay. So that whole living piece yeah. that you've been doing now gets you fortified, builds up your energy, rejuvenates you for going right on back to your grief mm-hmm. so that you can exhaust yourself on the grief side again. Mm-hmm. When you're exhausted there, then you'll float on back over to the land of the living and you will get back to it. You mm-hmm. will connect with friends, go out for dinner, go to the movies, you know, go on a vacation, what have you. Um, Over time, and again, you know, that's the several months, years process, you will find that you have much more time in the living Mm -hmm. and less and less time in the grief. Mm -hmm. I think the key word there is process, isn't it? Yep. It It really is. is a process. It is absolutely a process and it is a lifelong process process. Right. It does not end. Right. Though its presence will become uh, salient or powerful only at key moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for instance, and I'll give a, a completely personal example. Um, my father died 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So of course, the first couple of years were really quite intense. But then over the years, it became less and less so. And most days, I don't actively think or consciously think of my father. Mm-hmm. Um, the moments when I do, it is what I call emotion neutral. Mm-hmm. It is a memory and it takes me to wherever that memory needs to take me. But there are also very specific moments in my adult life, even 30 years out, mm-hmm. where the grief becomes expansive again mm-hmm. because it is a significant uh, life moment for me mm-hmm. where I recognize his presence is not there. Yeah. And so, and that's something that everyone who's experienced a loss needs to recognize that mm-hmm. there will be 
um, significant birthdays, um, significant anniversaries or events. So uh, in my instance, my father died when I was 19. So he was not present for my wedding. Mm-hmm. Well, that became a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. He wasn't there for graduation from university or from grad school. Um, so he wasn't there when uh, nieces and nephews were born. Mm-hmm. So then the power of the grief uh, revs up. Mm-hmm. Even though most everyone in the family had probably been going along in their lives quite comfortably for several months or several years. And then we had this very significant event. And now the absence uh, of this individual was felt and felt intensely, but not for a long period of time. You know, we're talking here maybe for 15 minutes, maybe for half a day, but then it's, you acknowledge it, you honor it, and then you get back to the, to the immediate moment. Yeah. And that's the lifelong nature of grief that you're talking about how, you know, you talked about the first year, the second year, uh, the dual process and what that looks like and how it becomes, you know, expansive over time in terms of, you know, hanging out and being in the land of the living and then having sort of uh, the mourning period, but that the lifelong process and missing those key and important times in your life where, it never would have occurred to you as a young, you know, 18 year old that dad might never be there at your wedding day until that is actually happening. And then all of a sudden the emotions come back. And so, yeah, that's the life. That's what I understand you saying is the lifelong nature. And it's different for every single person, isn't it? It, Yes. It's completely different for every single person. Um, And that, that brings up an interesting situation because Grief brings out what I call the shoulders. People should on themselves <laughs> oh to begin gosh. with, yeah. right? They go, yeah. I should be this or I should be that. I should I be should. over it. I shouldn't be feeling this way. It's been five years. And also it brings out the people around you become shoulders because they themselves either have no clue. They didn't have a close relationship. So they can't possibly understand how 30 years later, you might still shed a tear for your father. They're like, really? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you wait until you lose a parent. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we'll talk. Mm-hmm. Or they are experiencing or have experienced loss before and they did their journey in their way that resonated for them. Mm-hmm. And because it worked for them, they believe that everyone should journey the same way that they did. Mm-hmm. And so now you get an awful lot of advice about what you should and shouldn't be doing with your own journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the most powerful, helpful support in grief for yourself is to show self-compassion. Do right. not should on yourself. Just don't mm-hmm. even go there. <laughs> People who are shooting on you, yeah. you need to let them go. They need to become kites. Yeah. So they need to be given some air and allowed to have some distance from you. Yeah. And for those who want to support, presence is key. Not your words. Keep your mouth shut if you were there to support an individual, no one needs you to say anything mm-hmm. because the the bereaved, the individual who's experienced a the loss, they know you yeah. can't fix this. Yeah. Nobody can fix this. They're not mm-hmm. looking for a fix. Yeah. And the last thing they want is for the the placating words. They're, they would just rather that you be quiet. Mm-hmm. So instead, sit quietly with the bereaved. Mm-hmm. Mouths shut. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. It makes yeah, it very easy uh, and yet also very difficult because the silence can beco- un- yeah. become uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other part is own it, which means that if you are the bereaved, you put it out there and go, you know what? I don't know what's going on with me. This is crazy making. And I don't know if I'm coming or going And so, because I don't know if I'm coming or going, I get that you around me, my family and friends don't know if you're coming or going. Right. Mm -hmm. Because then immediately it calms everybody down and go, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just that you were completely nuts. Maybe we need to take you off to the hospital. Yeah. Um, The other side is when you're supporting the bereaved, if you don't know, then own that too. Say, you know what? I, there are no words. I have no idea what to say. I've got nothing. Yeah. It's, and, it's better than saying that something, like you were saying earlier, that's, right. that's just filling the space. Yeah. 
And yeah. especially the ones that dismiss the grief and the intensity of the emotion, such as this is God's will, mm-hmm. or it was their time, or it, you know, eventually it'll get better, mm-hmm. or um, it, just don't go there. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. far better to say, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Because there really is nothing to say. Yeah. And simply sit with. Right. Sit with the emotion that that brings up in you as the person who's just feeling maybe broken about what the circumstances are for the other person that you're there to support. Yeah. And in some instance or some uh, way, there's almost a connecting in that, isn't there? Yes. You understand the broken and you can be with me in this broken place. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's extremely powerful. Because then the person is being seen Mm -hmm. and, um, and supported without being dismissed. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not trying to move them along uh, and that they are already uncomfortable in their sense of self. Mm -hmm. So to have somebody who is prepared to sit with you and be equally uncomfortable Mm -hmm. is community making really. Um. So silent presence is extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. The other thing to keep in mind, and this will happen an awful lot, um, is that the bereaved will start to what I call chatter. So they just start to talk. So once they've offloaded their emotion, if you stay silent, then you give them the space to begin their own process out loud. Mm -hmm. And so they start to chatter. Um, so they will just have random thoughts here, there, and everywhere. Um, they will, on the outside, not be making any sense, and yet their brain is making sense of it all mm-hmm. by working through it. Mm-hmm. Again, the silent presence. You don't need to answer the questions. The questions are are not to be answered. Mm-hmm. They're rhetorical. Mm-hmm. Um, when they make comments, they're not expecting you to comment back mm-hmm. or to match what they're saying. They simply want to be able to uh, take what's in their head and put it out there, give it air. Is that when you talked about mourning, the external expression of grief, that's a, that's a piece of that, is it not? Yes, Better? it yeah. is. Yeah. It's a, the, the big thing is that when someone is weeping, Generally speaking, human beings are more willing to sit with the weeping. Now they might try and start handing them Kleenexes, like hurry up, get over, stop Mm -hmm. the crying. Mm -hmm. Um, But when someone starts to talk, so when their thoughts become words, Mm -hmm. then somehow, unfortunately, most human beings want to engage in a conversation. It's like, no, 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 no. They don't want to have a conversation. They just need to take their thoughts and put it out. Yeah. Because it's that process that they themselves... Like you said, it may not make sense, but in their brain, it's, it's doing what it needs to do. And so by, and it's like a socially constructed thing. There's someone speaking, so you feel somewhat compelled to comment or respond. But in essence, it can really, could it not disrupt that brain, that internal process that's, that's happening? Because now they're having to stop and actually process the words that you're saying and how they fit or they don't fit. Or like you were saying, you know, don't give advice if, you know, you say something that isn't on par with where they're at. Again, it's just, it's stopping that process, isn't it? It does. It interferes with the process. It slows it down. And sometimes it can be quite shaming because the person is um, just thinking out loud. And now all of a sudden, they're essentially being told by someone who's interfering um, what you're thinking, what you're experiencing. isn't okay. You need to shut that down mm-hmm. or change it. Mm-hmm. They, you know, that the outside person is trying to reframe it. Oh, don't say that about them. Mm-hmm. Or you don't really mean that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an internal process. Mm-hmm. And again, they're saying it. If they're left to internally process, they will come up with their own piece, which is, yeah, I probably don't actually mean that, but I don't know how else to put it right now. So what else do I mean? And they're mm-hmm. processing. Mm-hmm. But if they have someone who now shoulds on them. Yes. Yeah then it becomes a really shaming experience. Yeah. Now what happens is that person will not mourn. They will stuff their grief. Right. Yeah. And when grief gets stuffed, mm-hmm. it gets um, toxic, really toxic. So 
I actually have um, a visual to help people truly understand that, mm-hmm. um, which may be helpful uh, to sort of uh, as almost like a wrapping up image. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you have more questions, throw them at me. But mm-hmm. um, this image I is essentially equating morning with rain. So what ends up happening with rain is this. When we go through life or when clouds go through their existence, they travel across this big, beautiful sky and they're really nice and white and fluffy and they're gorgeous and we get attracted to them. And then something happens to that cloud. They go over a big body of water and they start to pick up moisture. And that cloud begins to gray and it gets a little bit bigger and it gets a little bit heavier. Now, if that cloud is allowed, hits something in their life where, uh, in their travels, where they're able to offload that grayness, essentially what is experienced is a sun shower. So for someone who travels through their life, they have not experienced loss, they now experience a loss, there is going to be a grayness and a heaviness to their world. If the people around them support them and allow space for them to offload that grayness, then it's going to be soft tears. It's going to be a sun shower. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing with sun showers. Sun showers, when they've passed, we all know we step outside after a sun shower, it's kind of cool. The sun was shining, but it was raining (laughs) and it's refreshing and everything looks brighter. Uh, The flowers smell richer. Um, Everything's clean. Everything is nourished. Um, we now go, oh, we don't have to water the plants today because they've had a sun shower and look at them grow. Mm-hmm. Now, if that cloud doesn't have a place to unload that early grayness, mm-hmm. if we don't hold space for grief early on, mm-hmm. then that cloud picks up more moisture. It gets bigger, mm-hmm. it gets darker, and it gets heavier. Eventually, we all from the outside look at that cloud and go, whoa, mm-hmm. that is one serious storm brewing. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a big event. And then what we start to notice is that there's lightning inside that cloud and there is thunder and the thunder is ominous. Mm-hmm. And then the lightning starts to jam outwards and the thunder gets so loud it's deafening and we cannot avoid hearing it. And when that cloud erupts, the rain that falls is catastrophic. It washes out the gardens. It destroys trees. It destroys walkways. It destroys bridges. Mm -hmm. Um, And once that passes, what's left behind is destruction. Mm -hmm. There is no garden. There are no trees. Nothing smells or looks fresh and new and nourished. Mm -hmm. We now have a huge rebuilding project ahead of us. Mm It's like that with grief. Mm -hmm. If we don't offload or mourn our grief little and often in a deliberate way, Mm -hmm. then our grief gets bigger inside of us. Mm -hmm. And we'll end up with physical illness from it. That's the Mm -hmm. lightning. We will end up with really negative self-talk. That's the thunder. Mm -hmm. When it becomes too much, we throw it out there. Mm -hmm. So now what people experience from this bereaved individual is intense, overwhelming anger, Mm -hmm. that thunder that's deafening that you can't avoid, Mm -hmm. and the lightning that throws out at at other people are going to be the hurtful words, Mm -hmm. the the barbs that you can never take back. And then when they finally erupt and everything comes out, the sadness, the fear, the anger, it's destructive. Nobody wants to be around that person. Yeah. And now they have to completely rebuild. Yeah. So it's far better to be little and often facing and, and offloading your own grief. It is far better for people supporting to be there little and often for a long time. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the fact that today they're climbing ladders, mm-hmm. remember tomorrow they may hit a snake. Mm-hmm. So be there for the long term, not three or four months mm-hmm. or two or three years and hold the space for that sun shower, for yeah. that immediate offloading. Yeah. And I think that's a fantastic analogy and I think going to be really helpful for our listeners. I know it was super helpful for me. And as a, as a psychotherapist like yourself, I'm 
I want to be able to, through this podcast and the information that you've shared, Sheila, be able to create an awareness around it doesn't have to get to that point. Exactly. It does not have to get to the catastrophic moment. Um, And when it does, um, should it, because there are lots of people who have, who are not going to have those supportive environments. They're going to really struggle with what I'm saying about the sun showers or this is new and they go, oh, I wish I'd known that two years ago. When it gets to that point for them, that's where they seek out professional help. Yes. Because someone like me can sit in that catastrophic environment and hold the space and not run away. I'm not going to be destroyed by it. I will be, I will be able to hold that space. But for everyone else early on in the journey, get into it little and often. If you're struggling with that, you're feeling like your cloud is getting heavier, then seek professional help to get a little bit of a redirect to offload it before it becomes catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and it may, it may just be that there isn't anyone in your life that can be that Mm -hmm. or who is maybe dealing with their own grief related to or not with the situation that is going to be uncomfortable, but also maybe say things that aren't helpful. They're the advice piece that will uh, have things move into the direction of not feeling good and recognizing that it's okay to step away from the supports that are within your inner circle and to branch out, reach out to a professional. And I think with the current state of mental health and all of the awareness efforts that are out there, that reducing stigma around reaching out for professional help, it's, it's working. I know it is. People are knocking on my door, calling me and have never sought out help before, but it's still a huge hurdle for people to come out. And so thank you for normalizing that, you know what, this is an experience. You gave very specific details about um, the differences between grief and mourning. And, and I'll even add that, that, that big, the thunder and the lightning, some people think that that's part of their grief process and don't realize that it actually didn't have to get to that point. And, and, yeah. stay, and staying with that is going to be unhealthy. It's going to actually impede their ability to get through grief. So, and again, not to feel shamed by it because more people than not right now in our current society end up in that catastrophic place with their Mm -hmm. grief because we're a society that is death denying, Mm -hmm. which then means we are grief denying. Yeah. Because you said that at the beginning, you said it's a hidden, it's hidden, uh, death is hidden in modern society. And that's what you meant that- Mm-hmm. that we just we we don't pay attention to it we're not listening to what and how our bodies want to mourn that expression of grief it shut off the tears when uh, i say you know we have tear ducts for a reason yes yeah. but there's so much weakness attached to shedding tears isn't there yeah. and the interesting thing is, is because again people just don't understand what tears are and, yeah. um you know, tears are um, an offloading of something that is overwhelming to us, yeah. that if it was kept inside, it would chew away at us. Yeah. And so tears are, in fact, we have different, um, there's a different biochemistry to different tears. Yeah. So um, tears of joy versus tears of sadness versus tears of anger are biochemically different. Yeah. Those are different toxins in our body. So if you don't cry when you're overwhelmed with happiness, then and you kept that inside, that would ultimately end up causing you harm, even though you're having a really happy moment. Yeah. So we need to um, adjust our thinking with respect to yeah. tears uh, and understand that there's a purpose behind them. And to stuff them is, again, um, self-harming, yeah. whereas to release them, regardless of why you're releasing them, yeah. uh, is actually healthy and will be your sun shower. And the opposite of self-compassion, which you talked about as being one of the, the key things that we need to pay attention to in terms of our, our process. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sheila, for your time today and for sharing all of your wonderful information, your knowledge, and thank you for normalizing what can be a really scary topic for a lot of people because those emotions come up, right? And so I hope that in our uh, learnings today that um, people can 
garner the strength to reach out to a mental health professional, I want to share uh, Sheila's information, O'SullivanPsychotherapy.com, correct? Yes. yes, that's correct. Yeah. And you're located where again, Sheila? I am in Wasaga Beach. So I do have clients who come to me for face-to-face uh, mm-hmm. or in-person sessions, but I also do work online. So okay. uh, if individuals can't find in their own community uh, suitable support, mm-hmm. um, especially related to grief, because it is a specialized area of psychotherapy, mm-hmm. then they can certainly reach out to me to do online work if needed. Mm-hmm. Now, I know today we spoke specifically about grief, but you also do, and maybe this is another podcast episode. <laughs> what is your other specialty? Tell the listeners about that. Uh, so I have two other areas of um, specialty. One is adoption, uh, which of course, adoption is predicated on loss. So it's uh, it's grief and mourning again, but um, for a lived experience. And then the other area is compassion fatigue. So, uh, and compassion fatigue uh, is not only experienced by healthcare professionals, but by anyone who is in a caregiver role. So Mm -hmm. parents who are caring for a disabled child, for instance, can experience um, compassion fatigue or vice versa, what we call the sandwich generation, where they're caring Mm -hmm. um, for elderly parents while also maybe having little people uh, in their home and Mm -hmm. they just become overwhelmed. with, you know, they're giving and giving and giving and they become overwhelmed by that. They end up suffering from compassion fatigue. So that's another area that I uh, cover off as a psychotherapist, but I also teach, teach courses with respect Mm -hmm. to addressing that issue specifically. The compassion fatigue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So I definitely want to do another podcast with you. (laughs) This has been wonderful. So thank you so much for your time, Sheila, today. You're welcome. Thanks, Julie. Take care. Thank you for joining me today. Please remember that information provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com.